0: Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have today NFL Pro Bowl kicker, formerly from the Cincinnati Bengals, Shane Graham, on today. He's going to talk to us about the mindset of a kicker, Uh, Evan McPherson. He talks about a lot of things, including what it's like to be able to look at a kick every single time and to be able to make that kick. He gets into so many different things with us, and quite frankly, we ran out of time. So I really want you guys to tune in today as he shares the leadership mindset of an NFL kicker, Shane Graham. But let's get started, and uh, I want to welcome you to the show, to the Leadership to Wealth podcast. Uh, My guest today, Shane Graham. Shane, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Shane, it is uh, so exciting. I, I just want to preface why this is so exciting for me. Uh, you started playing for the Bengals in 2003. I started watching the Bengals in 2003. Um, I started uh, following the Bengals because Marvin Lewis uh, came over and took over the Bengals. And um, and up until that point, I was kind of going through different teams. I'm here from Canada, uh, I live in Canada. And so I got into the NFL by watching Doug Flutie from playing in the Canadian Football League go over yeah. to the Buffalo Bills and then San Diego Chargers and um and then I I watched Marvin come over to Cincinnati. And so now the other special thing was I had my first child in 2003. And so every Sunday, you named I child was... Shane. <laughs> Uh, she she would be really upset if I did but um no I uh every Sunday I would be sitting because I was found myself at home every uh more often than normal I um I was there watching football every Sunday and uh, and I got to really watch your career there with the uh with the Bengals and it was really special because you were that that was your I mean, that was the highlight of your career. I mean, you, you went through so many years, but that was when you became elite. You became uh, the All-Pro, uh, you know, an All-Pro. You were named to a Pro Bowl in 2005. I mean, you set all sorts of records. You set records for the Bengals. You have, I believe, four different records with the Bengals. And, uh, and so those years, that was all you watching you win uh, football games every Sunday.
1: Well, you know, I, I did bounce around a good bit uh, from Buffalo to Carolina to there. And, you know, I think I hit a comfort level when I got there because uh, the coach that had been there, uh, the assistant special teams coordinator in Carolina in 02, had just mm-hmm. become the coordinator in Cincinnati. So I, I was yeah. familiar with him. And when I came up on waivers getting let go from Carolina because they were keeping the veteran that they had had there that I was filling in for, for an injury, uh, it it felt that comfort and confidence came from, they really want me. I don't have to go try out for this team. They're just bringing me in. Mm -hmm. So when they brought me in week one, I already had just that little bit of a psychological bump that I had been used to having and you know from that point on it was you know when I finished that year you know another team offered a contract Cincinnati matched it so it just elevated it even more to to helping you build your own confidence because you know the, the brass wanted you versus me clawing and scratching for someone to please open the front door.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you that was the year uh Jacksonville, I believe, tendered uh, a restricted contract or something like that. And then the yes, matched it. And uh which I remember it because I was like, this guy's amazing. Why? You know, you you guys better uh, hold on to him because you see every year in the NFL, you see every year the difference that kickers make and um and having a good one. Is hugely important. Ask the Bengals this year how important Evan Pearson is, right? So uh, that that was huge for you. Now, I'm guessing you're referring to Darren Simmons, of course, yes, regards to Carolina. And uh, and I love that because uh, Darren Simmons has obviously he got came over with Marvin or he came over that year that Marvin came in and he has he stayed there all those years with Marvin Lewis and now he's continued on even with uh, the, the new changes and with Zach Hiller being there.
1: He's actually the longest tenured special teams coach in the NFL. Yeah, with, the with, same with team. no surprise. And possibly behind Belichick, maybe the second tenured NFL coach overall, yeah. probably behind Belichick in New England.
0: Yeah, and and you, I've heard you talk about him before. You, you call him a mentor and, yeah. and a friend as well.
1: Yes, Yeah, you know, you you get to know a guy when I'm in my early 20s. He's in his late 20s, you know, pushing 30 when I first got to know him. And throughout our, you know, my career, you know, being in, going into my 30s while I was with Cincinnati, uh, pushing, you know, early mid 30s before I left. And then we stayed in contact with each other and stayed friends the whole time. Every time I played somewhere else. Uh, we still kept in contact with each other. And, you know, I grow into my 40s. I get into coaching. He's only a few years older than me. So mm-hmm. we kind of went through a lot of the same growth spurts at the same time uh, mm-hmm. throughout our careers. And when I got into coaching, I actually uh, leaned on him quite heavily and mm-hmm. and he held me up. I mean, he did a great job of, of, of giving me all kinds of little tips and little things that I'm going to need to know at some point, uh, logistically, uh, strategically, uh, fundamentally, like so many different things that he helped me out on and and how to understand the time management and the commitment. And I, and I paid attention a lot to what he did. So yeah. I can promise you there's a lot of things that Evan heard Darren say to him during practice that he heard me saying <laughs> verbatim because yes. there were things that I knew that, those were things that Darren says. And they, and they rubbed off on me because I, they all made sense. And especially the older I got, the more all of that stuff started to make even more sense to me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, basically Evan got regurgitated Darren for me, and then he got to go get the real thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's right.
0: Well, I mean, Darren Simmons has been putting out top units every year for, uh, for all these years, he's really been doing it at the highest level. And it didn't matter how many people he's had to enter, uh, you know, interchange, he's continued to uh, really produce on special teams, which I don't know if enough people give special teams the credit that it's really due. And he really has an eye for detail. But I, I want to come back to Darren. Again, I want to come back to e- Evan McPherson as well. Obviously, with the Super Bowl coming up this Sunday, and everyone's wondering about that. But before we get into that stuff, uh, you know, you played Pulaski County High School. Sorry, guys, if I in uh, in Dublin, Virginia, correct? Yes. That that right? All right. Um, and you have the, a record field goal there of a 54 yarder in 1995. You hit that after all these years and all the amazing kicks that you've done. Do you remember that one?
1: I remember every kick I've ever kicked in a game in my life. Really? Yeah.
0: And, and what is that because you've watched them over again? What, can you tell me how, why is it you remember it's, every it's, single kick?
1: It's probably because before every kick, I probably visualize that kick 10 times every time. And yeah. when I'm on the field, I actually visualize it twice. Yeah. So before I kick it, so, during that process, I don't know if it's just the constantly, you know, recycling the, those images through my mind. But, um, you know, I, 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 I can tell you my first field goal in high school was a 32-yarder from the right hash with three seconds left in the first half against Cave Spring in Roanoke, Virginia. Oh, my goodness. I okay. Mean, now, I that's got to be both so a blessing and a curse. What's that?
0: I said that's got to be both a blessing and a curse.
1: It it can be because I learned to start blocking the memories of the misses. There are quite a few that still stand out. You know, Mm -hmm. there's obviously, uh, you know, kicks. uh, I think it was a 39-yarder at the end of the regulation against uh, the Steelers in 06. That uh, pretty painful. Uh, 46 yarder at the end of overtime against Philadelphia that mm-hmm. uh, we missed, and we ended in a tie game. Uh, yes, you know there was there, there's been. I'm not just going to keep reciting off all my misses now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because let's let's remember, there's a lot more makes. Yeah. But uh, and there and there were plenty of game winners, but I remember those ones, and, and those all hurt. You know, the the moments mm-hmm. when those happened, they hurt. And you have to find a way to either disguise it until you, and and almost fake that you're happy because if you start showing signs of body language that you're distraught and you're messed up and you're whatever, then your team feeds off that energy. Then they don't believe in you because they can see you don't believe in yourself. So one thing I used to always do is no matter what happened when I missed you know, in the moment, you're going to have emotions and you're going to feel things, especially if the game's already over. You're going to feel those emotions all the way up to bedtime, you know, and mm-hmm. even in, through that. But when it's your next time on the field, you've got to be right back on top of the mountain, ready to yeah. go, because if you're not, if you're, if you're not stable, you'll fall right off the mountain again and you won't be prepared mentally.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean you've you've uh, really lived uh, an amazing career so far as a kicker. Everything from uh, you know high school to Virginia Tech. I mean you're in the Hall of Fame uh, at Virginia Tech along with uh, the likes of Bruce Smith and Michael Vick, and uh, and then everything that you you continue to do through the NFL. And one of the things that I find interesting for a kicker is that you can be on – for other players, you can be on offense and people are watching you on offense. You can be on defense and players are watching you on defense. But then when it comes to kicking a field goal, everybody on offense is watching. Everyone on defense is watching. Everyone on special teams is watching. Everybody in the entire stadium and on TV is watching you do a move from here. Everything from the shift, the step over, and looking down, looking up, and then you going through and making that kick. There is no other play other than that play where everybody is actually watching your every movement. What's that like to have that kind of scrutiny? It's
1: intoxicating.
0: <laughs> okay. That's interesting. Tell tell us more.
1: It, it really is because in that moment, you have – like there's so many things that happen in our life that all these variables that go around us that that make us successful, that make us uh, unsuccessful or feel pain or not feel pain, whatever. It's usually things that we didn't have a whole lot of control over. Yeah. You know, we can only control so much, but all these other variables typically play into so many different things. Whereas that's the same thing on a field goal, but the thing about a field goal is you have – the most control that any one player can have on a play in the sport. Mm -hmm. And ultimately that gives you the power to control a lot of people's emotions to uh, give hope, take hope, you know, all these things that happen, you can silence people or you can uproar people. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can make people hate you. You can make people love you. Ultimately it comes to on what your performance is and how you execute but all of those things happen. And, and to have that type of uh, power is, is a very intoxicating feeling that you can also, you know, you can also see it as good and bad. Because as intoxicating as that is, you know, the emotions of making that field goal that you just, you know, you want to have it every single time is a very strong, positive emotion especially mm-hmm. a game winner. You ride so high after a game winner. Yeah. But when you miss, that emotion is actually 10 times stronger. Right. And it hurts way more than it felt good to make it. So if you you eliminate those, as many as you can, obviously, and keep your percentage as high as possible, uh, but we're human and, and those things happen. So you have to learn to deal with that. But in the, the fact that if you're willing to take the risk to potentially have that happen, then you get to feel this just amazing intoxicating feeling of, of I controlled so much with the help of my holder snapper in line. We still controlled so much and we made everyone cheer. We made everyone stand up and scream. We made everyone sit down and shut up. You know, like it, it, it's, it's a strong intoxicating thing but you have to make sure that you're willing to take that risk to miss. And you have to be willing to not be afraid. And, and, And fear becomes the major factor in how you control that intoxicating feeling because you may love that feeling so much, but yet if you're so afraid of that 10 times more powerful feeling, if you're not willing for it, then you're going to be a little apprehensive. That's what fear is. you, you hesitate. You 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 uh, you know. You flinch. You 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 do something different. Your your heart rate obviously and adrenaline's pumping. We all have to control that for other things in our lives as well. But when when you let that fear come in, because you're so afraid of the result of people are going to hate you, they're going to throw things at you, they're going to yeah. heckle you, whatever it is, uh, we let that fear control us. And mm-hmm. that is our job as performers on, a, on, a, on a, any athletic field is to eliminate that fear. I mean, I mean, it, there's a cliche that I actually uh, I, I learned it from Darren. It was on Darren's wall when I was in Carolina or, or Cincinnati. But it says, and it was F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. Yes. And. I always take that into account like through all these things and I work with sports psychologists but all of those fears you have of the result are all based off of just the fact that you're not willing to take a risk. So what you're doing is your fear of failure ultimately is fear of success because you have to be able to accept the fact that things aren't going to go your way and you're going to be okay. So then you can just focus on the process and just get through everything and, and live everything rolling forward versus rolling and hesitating and rolling and hesitating.
0: Mm. Wow. Okay. So I, and I, I don't want people to miss this because that, that really is a key for you on the football field, but it, what you're talking about, I think really translates to everyday life for people is oh, being absolutely. able to be in that moment. Can can you say something about that type of leadership? Uh, you know, this is a show about leadership, and can you talk about that type of leadership and how it translates off the field?
1: Well, uh, so so I'll make one more. I'll make one more sports analogy to that, yeah. and then I'll and I'll and i and I'll segue that. Um, yeah. So you ever played TPC Sawgrass? No. Seventeenth green. you know what it looks like?
0: Sawgrass?
1: Sawgrass in Jacksonville, Florida? No. So, okay, so this okay, course it, you has, got me. it has it has a yeah. famous surrounded by water island green.
0: Oh, yes. Okay, yes. Sorry, you got me. Okay. okay
1: go for it. <laughs> so, you roll up to the to the tee box. Yeah. You see all this water around it. Yeah. You have in your bag one $10 Pro V1 golf ball. Best golf ball you can have, or or, yeah. or whatever the best golf ball is. Yeah. Okay, and then you have a big bucket of scuffed up X out balls. You look back at that team, the the green in the water. Which ball are you going to grab?
0: Oh, yeah. Are, are we playing the game right now? We're, are we're, we're playing.
1: We're playing golf. Right. Oh, Ooh.
0: then then I'm grabbing the best ball. Okay. Best ball I have. Yeah. So
1: ultimately that, that analogy plays out that so many people are so afraid to take a risk. Right. That they want to play it safe mm-hmm. that they, uh, you know what? I don't want to lose that $10 ball in the water. Let me grab this scuff. Cause there's many more and I can just keep trying it until I hit it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay.
1: We only get one chance. That's So right. why not give your one chance, your best shot?
0: That's right. Yeah. So yeah,
1: I, I that's just something that, that, has resonated with me so much that if if everyone reaches for an X out, then you've already planned to fail. You've already accepted mm-hmm. that you're afraid to be successful. Now you might hit that ball on, but you probably didn't hit the ball as pure and as clean as you would have hit the other ball, and maybe it would have been closer. Maybe it would have gone in the hole. Who knows? Because mm-hmm. there's always luck and there's human error and all that kind of stuff. Yes, but 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 I think everyone understands like that analogy is much bigger than just golf. You know, it, it's it's one shot, take it, give it your best shot.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, it, it's that is so true. and And I think something you've even talked about, I've heard you in past interviews where you talk about the confidence that a kicker has is not even necessarily in that kick that he's about to make. It's the confidence of the numerous number of kicks that he's made up until that point in practice over and over again, all those scuff balls that you've put between the uprights and now you're just coming out and you're doing the exact same thing. And so it's not really a question of trying to do something for the first time. You've already done this so many times that, um, you know, for some people they may call it faith for you. There is a real confidence there and a real expectation because you've done it so many
1: but, times over and over but, again. But ultimately it still is faith because, yes. If you have faith in your process, and your process is is so routine driven that you have all these minute details that you just you know like like uh, gears in a machine, they all have to 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 turn on the gear. Okay, every one of those teeth hit on another gear because you are staying focused on the process. Yeah. All right. If you're staying focused on the process then your your confidence is strong because you're not you're distracting yourself from your lack of from from, from any thoughts of, of things not going right so all of your preparation through the week is is building the strength of your process and building your confidence so once that confidence is there when you're in the game the only thing in front of you is the goalpost or or, or whatever else it is in life uh, you can't see it. You don't know it. And and that's the right. that's the ultimate definition of faith is believing in something that you can't see. Mm. But in cool. your mind, you see it in the back of your yeah, mind you because it. you've done it. Yeah. But ultimately, it is, it is an entirely different landscape in front of you. You're just yeah. performing the same thing in this other landscape, but you still have faith that everything you did will keep your process true so that you can give yourself the best chance.
0: Yeah. So so let me ask you along those lines, what makes... Obviously, we know Evan McPherson has got a powerful leg for such a small guy on top of that. He's got an amazing leg. Um, but the the question is, what really sets him apart? What makes him so special that he is able to go out there and just nail those kicks? I mean, 54. He He's hitting all of these. You've said you've seen him hit, I believe you said a 68 yarder one time. Um, what is it that makes him so special that everyone has gotten to see week in and week out here?
1: Well, the thing that everyone sees is obviously the physical ability. I mm-hmm. mean, you, you just look at the way the ball flies and travels and all that. And we all see that. He's just these unflappable confidence and it's just mm-hmm. unwavering. I mean, mm-hmm. Even when I've seen him miss a kick that he was really upset about making uh, or about missing, you know, he came off the field and he still had this, you know, cheesy little smile on his face. And he's like, I'll get the next one. I'll get the next one. And he just looked at me and said, don't worry about me. And and when you can feel that and know it's genuine and not fake, because I've seen plenty of people that are just so, so almost – arrogantly cocky that they they're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. And they're just saying it. So you'll leave them alone. He actually, I believe him because I see him every day and I saw how he was with everything. And I never saw him throw down his helmet. I never saw him, you know, spit out a slew of curse words. I, I never, I never saw the things that I might've been guilty of myself at certain times. I've never seen him do the things that I've seen a lot of other guys be guilty of because he just is so straight and narrow that, uh, and that's how he lives his life too. I mean, he's, he's a very straight and narrow kind of guy. And I think that plays into it. And I think the fact that he's able to be that way off the field is, is, is what helps him be very straight and narrow on the field.
0: Okay. So you got to help us here with uh, understanding Evans thought process while you're watching him he's playing they're up against the the Kansas City Chiefs everybody's terrified of the Chiefs they're going toe-to-toe and he's there to make the game winning kick are you looking at him and thinking like you you've got to know what's going on in his head right he's
1: focused on and I wish I had one around me I don't have one in here all he's thinking about is that little conglomeration of the little nubs on the brown leather in the sweet spot of the ball. All he then, Because his process already has him, his measurement, how he measures and makes his line, and then he steps over sideways, gets any stance, makes sure his feet are set, makes sure his body's squared up to the target, the way he wants to be set up. And then by the time he, he gives his holder the, the nod that he's ready to go, He's been basically stepping himself through his process without thinking. Oh, last time I did this, I better do this, or maybe I'll do this. It, there's no guesswork. It, it's all yeah. it's all like linear. Things are done, and then when he's sitting in his stance, waiting for the ball to be snapped, all he's waiting for is to see the holder's hand come off the ground to catch the ball. As soon as his holder's hand comes off the ground, that's when he leaves, and then. After that, he's been practicing his step and tempo to the ball yeah. millions of times, and then it's just a little conglomeration about the size of two or three millimeters, uh, if not smaller, honestly, uh, at the sweet spot that pound through it every time in the same spot, and that's why he's one of the most consistent ball strikers I've ever seen, because he hits that spot every time, and the ball always has the same rotation at It it might curve with the wind or something, but but he hits a consistently good striking ball, and it's uh, it's impressive. But because he's able to keep his mental focus so sharp with his confidence, keeping his focus from waning one way or the other, that's what makes them successful. Makes them different.
0: Yeah, what what's one thing that the uh, average NFL fan would not know about kickers? But you know, as a kicker, like this is that this is something really special that, that, you know, about kickers that you can share with us?
1: Well, I would say more, more so in today's kickers or or even my time, uh, more and more of us love tackling and love being involved in the contact of the sport. Uh, I think the evolution of kicking in general has proven to not be like that a long time ago because you typically had uh, soccer players that had either come from Europe, like the Gogolak. Pete Gogolak was the first kicker, comes from Europe. I think it was, six. I don't remember exactly off top of my head, uh, 66 or 68. But so Pete Gogolak comes over. He completely demolishes the standard of makes and misses for kickers because everyone else had been the straight-on kickers where – 50% was good. Okay, he comes in, he starts hitting 60, 70% and all of a sudden the NFL and the AFL are having bidding wars over players and it actually he created what the, the the domino effect of what became the the modern NFL because he was so much better than everybody else. Then his brother comes over. Then all of a sudden you've got your premiums, you've got the center roots, you've got all these guys from Europe and, and possibly uh, you know South America, just soccer, people that played soccer internationally and thought, oh, I can kick a football. And then a few people obsessed over enough to where they actually got good at it because you can't just kick a football because you can kick a soccer ball. Yes. And the evolution went from the soccer player to the athlete that can play soccer, play other sports, do other things, to – the football player who grew up playing other sports, but also played soccer, but more so the guys that are six foot, 200 pounds, the guys that are mm-hmm. six two, 220 muscular built looking dudes. And now you got guys like Joey Sly that look like linebackers and you have, you know, uh, Harrison Bucker. Who's he's, I mean, he's just a, he's just a big man. You have all these other yeah. guys that are just bigger and stronger. And, and even mm-hmm. though Evan isn't as big as them, he still comes from the mold of being an, an elite athlete when it comes yeah. to the things he can do with it, with his body and, and, and his performance that these players want to get in there and make tackles and they want to, and I know I did, I loved it. Um, I didn't want to be 50 yards behind everybody waiting for the guy to break free. Cause I can't, yeah. I can't tackle an open space a lot of defensive backs can't tackle an open space, yeah. so yeah. I don't want a guy to have a head start where he's all he got to do is turn his hips a couple times, and I'm just falling flat on my back. <laughs> I'd rather get them as they're coming out of the hole and fit them up and use leverage to certain, you know, wherever the the helps coming from or the sideline or whatever. But understanding that, like your Jay Feelys, you know, the guys that play back yes. line love to get into mix. Neil Rackers, I mean. We yes. had David Acres. We had a ton of fun yes. making tackles, and when we tell stories about it, we're all like, "Oh well, I had more than you did this season." And somebody else say, "Well, I had more in my career than you did." And yeah. and it, you know, we have fun because we we love that contact. But right. most people are just like, "Oh, you're just a kicker. You don't you don't do
0: anything." <laughs> the, uh, oftentimes, you're thinking, "Please don't try to tackle anybody because you don't want uh, the kicker to get hurt because." You know, there's so many position. I think, I think one time uh, Chad uh, had to, uh, good old Ocho Cinco I, had to get in there. I, had
1: a, I pulled my groin in the pregame, so yeah. he and, the, and it's the best kick he ever hit because he hit he hit some in practice and he and he had a little bit of a soccer background, but yeah. he hit the best one he's ever hit during that uh, during that PAT at New England that yeah. year. Shout out to Ocho Cinco, to Chad Johnson. <laughs> uh,
0: but uh, I, I've just got to quickly ask you the, the question. You were there for all those years with, with Darren and with Marvin Lewis. Uh, what was that like? And perhaps can you just say something quickly about what you saw there and what you see with the Bengals now? It's
1: tough because I don't want to make it something sound like detrimental to anybody that was back then yeah but the, the overall thing that i've noticed is there's just a, a, a wider sense of, of leadership and i think that's you probably walked me right into this because you probably knew that was going to be the answer but we we had leaders on our team yeah. and we had coaches that were leaders but you know there's a difference in what a, what a, what a good leader is and, and and not saying anyone was a bad leader, but I just think when you have Joe Burrow, who is a very, uh, you know, follow me, come with me type person, but who's confident, who instills confidence, who, who, who feeds everyone else his confidence. And then you have other guys on that team that are very uh, unselfish. So they don't take leadership where someone says, hey, come up to our level. Or anything like that. They don't take it personal. They don't take it as as critical as someone who might take that and be like, "Don't worry about me. Worry about yourself." You know, like yeah. when you see stuff like that. But but this team seems to be very unselfish, and they have so many different leaders at different levels. That I think you have the verbal leaders. I think you have the you know the follow me leaders. I think you have the the, the love and emotional leaders. Like you have so many different types of guys that it's just a great chemistry with the way they work with each other versus any different directions being pulled in other ways because of just things that didn't quite have the same chemistry.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of chemistry, do, do you and Cause you and uh, Brad St. Louis were together for a lot of years there. And uh, I remember reading pieces on on how you guys would practice over and over again. And now I know that uh, Clark uh, Harris and Evan are, you know, Clark's been doing it for a long time, but Cl- Clark, is this... Clark
1: was my last long snapper when I played at Cincinnati.
0: Right. And, and that guy, I read a, an article on him and he just has a blast doing just that one thing and making sure that he, he nails it. Is there something special in chemistry between a kicker and his long snapper?
1: You, you have to, yeah. Um, and, and your holder, whoever your holder may be, if it's yeah. the punter, if it's a backup quarterback, uh, if you don't have that chemistry, it's hard to truly have trust and blind faith in their ability for you. Because yeah. if you're going to put in extra work and they're right there beside you putting in the extra work to make you comfortable, yeah. they're doing it not only to make themselves better, but they're also doing it because they know Hey, he's going to be more comfortable because he sees me doing this work for him. Yeah. You know, if the long snapper calls me and says, Hey, uh, can you go catch some snaps? Am I going to say, I'm not a punter. Why do I need to catch your snaps? I'm not a holder. Would that really do anything for him or would me taking my personal thing aside and say, Hey, I don't punt, but I'm going to catch you because I want to help you get better. So the more you do extra little things for each other, the more you share meals together, the more you get to know each other's families, uh, you build lifelong relationships. But that little chemistry that you have going on for the field, it's because you do anything for that person that you want to do what you do for that person the best you can do it. And I think that's really how – Uh, It works, and and sometimes you can see guys do well for a short amount of time and not do so well for other times. A lot of the times you see there's a snapper going in and out. There's a holder change-up. They they changed their punter, so now he's got a new holder, or the snapper got cut, so they brought another guy in, or he got too old and they didn't want to pay him as much, so they saved money and brought in a rookie. And and physically there may not be much of a change-up, but the chemistry you have to build with the personalities actually plays into it a lot.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. So I've got a, a page of questions that I'd love to still ask you about, but we don't have the time. And, uh, but I, I know that there's so many interesting parts there, even, you know, the Jets game, which we won't talk about now, but, um... <laughs> <laughs> but I have to ask now you're a coach, and uh, a consultant as well can you just talk about uh, what you're into now and uh, you know what you enjoy about that what inspires you about what you're what you're up to these days
1: so basically what what ended up happening is uh as much as I love the coaching I love the relationships I've built with the players uh you know with players like Evan but all my players and you know, it's, it's no secret that I tell my players, I love them. Once I, once I get to know them and once we build a relationship, I I tell them I love them and, and many of them tell me they love me too. And that's something that means a lot to me. So I was still working with the entire team because, you know, like Darren with special teams, he has, he has, he has his hands on the entire offense and defense. So I work with the specialists during their off time, but during most of the time I'm, I'm doing stuff with the entire team and everybody. Uh, I love that. But what happens is that's 15 to 20 hours a day. It doesn't leave much time for sleep, family life. And I just decided that I still want to coach. I just, I just can't, it's not fair to my family to take that time away from them. So I'm going to, Basically, be a coach for hire. Uh, everyone thinks it means just private lessons for kicking, but really, it's not. There's going to be quite a few different things I'm going to be doing. Working, going to schools, helping players on their school, uh, helping coaching staffs understand how to coach specialists, helping uh, you know different teams in college understand the importance of if your goal is to make it in the NFL then you have to understand if you're not a first or second round draft pick, you have to play special teams. So you might snub your nose up on it right now, but I guarantee you Matt Slater wasn't snubbing his nose up on it $25 million later and being able to build presentations and stuff for that. And then also something I'm going to be working on is putting together workshops for uh, training these third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh non-drafted You know, round draft picks to non-draft picks on special team skills that maybe they've missed out on because they were the star receiver and didn't have to do it. Or maybe they were the star tight end or whatever. Uh, So I've got some stuff in the works for that and then doing some virtual workshops with uh, sports psychology and a bunch of other things brought into it as well. But uh, I'll be kind of launching that here before too long. That would be uh, elite winning solutions as you as you see the logo right there on the uh yes on the computer but uh once i get that launch and everything's good to go you know i'm excited because it has a lot of potential to help a lot of people
0: oh that's great uh and maybe maybe we could have you back on and you can talk to us at that point about uh, elite winning solutions and uh we at that point love love to have you again shane again i so many things i'd love to uh ask you questions about but we I know that you've got a pretty demanding schedule. So thank you so much for coming on the Leadership to Wealth podcast, sharing your insight about Evan McPherson making the Super Bowl winning kick this Sunday, but also everything along the way about special teams and uh, coaching and mentorship. I really appreciate you coming on today.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thanks a lot, Shane. Guys, thanks a lot. We'll see you guys next time here on Leadership to Wealth.